Hello, everyone. Welcome to Dolls of Our Lives, the show where we're reliving the American Girls series book by book. This is Mary, and happy 2024. I'm so excited for what this year will bring and so grateful to all of you for being with us on this journey, for supporting our show, and for supporting our book. It's been so fun over the holidays to be on social media and to hear from folks um, on Instagram, um, in DMs and just seeing folks in independent bookstores tagging our book and seeing people enjoy it. It's just been like hugely rewarding. When you write a book, it feels like such a weirdly isolating experience, even doing it with a partner like Allison. We wrote it in Google Docs and it's just really strange to think that something that was on our Google Drive is now out in the world. It's it's thrilling, it's exciting. It's really humbling, and I just want to start the year by saying thank you sincerely. Um, it's it's just been a dream come true. With that in mind, uh, we're taking a little break this week. Um, just you know, taking a little breather. It's been a crazy year, and we wanted to give folks who aren't on our Patreon a sense of what they might expect there. And this is an episode that aired on our Patreon in November. It's a Q&A episode where we answer uh, patron questions about our book. So if you've read the book or you're thinking about reading it, this episode is for you. And if you're not subscribed to our Patreon, I just want to give it a quick plug. It's such a great community, truly. I love chatting with folks there, and I've made some what I consider to be real friends there, um, I've, you know, talked about music all the time. We have a music channel on our discord where we talk about a new album people suggest every week. And I've really been loving that lately. We have PowerPoint parties. We have watch alongs. You get an extra episode a month where we talk about a book or a movie or a show that you suggest. In January, we're going to be reading Meet Me in the Meet Me by the Fountain, a history of malls, which I'm really excited to read and talk about. Last month, we discussed Britney Spears' memoir, it's really just an extension of our show and of the kind of millennial pop culture and history interests that, you know, inspire us and inspire you. So thank you again, everyone who has supported the show and supported the book. If you haven't checked out the book, um, you know, maybe give it a read. I don't know. I can't be impartial here, but I just really want to say thanks again to all the readers out there who have messaged us. It, it truly means the world to me. And I know it does to Allison too. So on behalf of both of us, just thank you so much again. We so appreciate you. And anyway, here's our episode. Welcome everyone to Dolls of Our Lives. This is the podcast where we're reliving the American Girl series book by book, except here on Patreon where we're doing whatever you tell us or we decide. I'm Mary. I'm Allison. And wow, Allison, what a month you and I have had like truly wild. We're going to talk about our book coming out, answer listener questions about our book and get into all kinds of stuff. But first, how are you doing? How's things? I'm doing great. I mean, it's been busy. I feel like this is the closest to the edge. Like usually we think about Patreon for months and months and we've read a book and we've talked about it. And this time it's like, okay, so we are talking about our book, (laughs) which is very different. It's surreal in a way. I mean, in a way, it's like there was way more preparation for this episode. Um, But yeah, we are cutting a little close. We wanted to give people time to read it and check it out and come up with questions. But 
Yeah, it's been a really crazy month. And, you know, I know we're both so appreciative of everyone who's reached out about the book and came to some of our events, which we'll talk about. Um, and yeah, I'm just excited to talk about it. But first, you know, what are you taking in? What are you watching? What are you reading? So I have been very interested in an HBO documentary called Love Has Won, The Cult of Mother God, which is about a woman named Amy Carlson, who kind of dared to ask the question, like, what if God was a girl boss who drank silver? And sadly, <laughs> wait, what? Sadly, much like drink silver. So she was drinking silver. Uh, estimates upwards of close to a liter a day. You shouldn't do that. So I'll I'll put that don't on do the table. That. We don't proclaim to give out medical advice. You know, I've been wrong about things before, but she was taking in a medicine, and I'm going to use that word in italics, that was created by people in her following. I don't like to use the word cult out the gate, but they were part of a religion with her, and they believed that she was Mother God. So, like, there's God, and then there's what she is. And one of her direct, like, intercessionaries was Robin Williams. And they were like, we cannot and will not explain that. <laughs> what? Oh, my God. Wow. She has others, but that's like the most prominent. There is a scene where she demands chicken parm and is given spaghetti and meatballs that I think is relatable to some. The rest you will probably not find relatable. Interesting. But there's useful questions there about sort of like the downfall of this group. And part of it is what they were encouraging people to take as a COVID remedy, which it was not and is not, and you can get very ill if you ingest too much of this metallic substance. So that's what I've been watching. Uh, it's super interesting, and I think speaks to like when girl bossery and like business mindedness goes too far. Yeah, I mean, it is possible to girl boss too close to the sun, as we've all learned. Like, do they use that song? Like, what if God was one of us? Is the theme? No, but there's interesting moments where, so there's Mother God and she has a Father God. And one of the Father Gods is very into metal and has kind of a toxic presence within the group. And the followers explain to us that Mother God has taken on the sins of the whole world. And so, of course, like she's having a bad day, but she needs that strong male energy to balance her out. I will say this, like they live streamed almost all the time in a way similar to like an early's cam girl situation. And they had a very big following. So, you know, when you're kind of thinking like, oh, wow, like we went to events where we would meet, you know, 40 or 100 people. They were streaming for thousands of people every day. That is truly scary and mind blowing at the same time. Wow. I yeah. Oh, my God. I probably couldn't watch that because I think it would scare me too much just because it's like that that's still probably out there in some format or there's other people doing that kind of stuff. What What are you that's watching? I, I think you are not watching Mother God, but I am not watching Mother God. Sadly, I don't know if I'm emotionally, spiritually prepared for that, to be real with you. I need to like think about that. I've been watching instead. Um, I did watch Jeannie with Melissa McCarthy, oh. which I enjoyed. It's like a, it's sort of like elf adjacent, sort of um, Christmas Carol-y. I will just watch anything that she's in. I think it was good as a TV movie. It's very light, won't make you feel bad. Recommended for that. I've also fallen down a rabbit hole of like reading a lot of memoirs and, or like watching The Pigeon Tunnel, which is like this memoir by, um, what's his name? Whose memoirs are documentaries I like about John le Carre, the former spy slash spy 
thriller author. And it's like very strange because he talks directly into camera and he's like quizzing him about his life, but he doesn't really push him on certain things. Like he's like, yeah, my dad had a lot of affairs and was kind of like a ne'er-do-well. And like this man had a lot of affairs and he's never like, hey, you know how you also do that? And he's just like, yeah, I don't know. My dad and I have some similarities. I don't know, like whatever. And then the big thing that I'm doing now is like, and I mean big, is trying to get through Barbara Streisand's Mm. memoir, which is called My Name is Barbara, great title. The best anecdote, I'm on a race against time because we have our Patreon watch along of Yentl coming up and I really need to get through at least the part of the book where she writes about directing and starring in Yentl, which I've never seen. I'm very excited to watch it with people on Discord, but I'm like, it's a lot. Like this woman, you can tell no one ever told her no because the book is like one tangent this way, flowing right into another stream of consciousness tangent. And I'm enjoying it, but it's like, I think if she were not Barbara Streisand, someone would be like, we kind of need to focus this up a little bit. Yeah. But it's very good. And my favorite anecdote so far is that like she premises the book by being like, I always wanted to be an actor. And then I kind of like fell into singing because I couldn't get cast. Hmm. And she's doing an audition and or like starring in some kind of show very early in her career before she really starts singing. And she was like, I was very method. And so I had to like use what I had in the moment. And if I wasn't attracted to a man in the scene with me, as she was not for this particular play, she was like, I couldn't like pretend to be attracted to him when I wasn't relatable content for me. So what she would do was put a piece of chocolate cake in the wings and she would stare at that. And she's like, I am attracted to that chocolate (laughs) cake. Like I want that cake. And she would kind of like use that feeling of like wanting cake and project it onto this man. I was like, wow, fascinating, great. Do you think it's true? I've heard that in Hollywood, the preference is to work with an actor who might be able to sing over a singer who's absolutely talented, but might not be able to act. Hmm, interesting. Well, I I wonder if that's true, I don't know. But I mean, I think for her, she sees herself, at least the parts I've read, I'm like 150 pages in, that she sees herself as an actor and the way she talks about singing when she gets into singing is like, she could always sing. She just kind of had that in her back pocket, but she really wanted to be an actor. And so when she starts singing to kind of make money and she wins this talent contest at a gay bar and then gets to perform there for the week and uses that, parlays it into other nightclub gigs and so on, she very consciously is like, I'm choosing records from Broadway musicals because it allows me to tell a story and I like embody the song as an actor. Like I'm performing it as an actor, I'm singing it, but I'm preparing and like moving through the material like an actor, basically. I don't do either of those things. So I feel like I have absolutely no basis to judge. Well, I mean, yeah, I don't feel like I can judge either, but it's like, I think if you put it up against like other singers like that are maybe not doing that or like, look, I'm just singing the song. I don't have to relate to the lyrics. I'm just like rolling with this. You know, maybe you can notice a difference of someone who's like this is either this is my life. I wrote the song. It's about me or like her being like, I'm singing the song from the 30s and for the next three minutes, like I'm going to imagine myself into this, you know, subject's life. We are, I mean, it's probably more compelling. I don't know. No, I'm I'm with that. And I'm excited. Our next month topic is to cover Britney Spears, you know, autobiography, yes. The Woman Inside Me. 
I always feel like that can't be the title, but it is. And I'm excited because... Is it the woman in me? The woman in me. It is not the woman inside me. That seems strange. <laughs> Genetically. Your title's good, too. Your title is good, too. I think it will be great for us to talk about sort of how we think that book got made and what we think that book is trying to do. And I like to stack that up against other memoirs that we've read. There was a lot of heat around, I think, select passages. And now we've had a few weeks and it'll soon be months to kind of digest what she's trying to do there like barbara that will take a lifetime that is too much for a monthly patreon too much it's too much although i do i do already see ways in which they're kind of in conversation because she basically says from the jump like i don't really need to write this book yeah she doesn't but she's like i'm doing this because i'm tired of people like telling lies about me and i'm putting my truth out there like somebody published a biography that was like, I had this torrid affair with Barbara Streisand. She was like, I literally don't even know who this is. Like, who is this man? And so she's like, and she just founded some center for truth, I think at UCLA. So she's like on a truth campaign. And you know, maybe Britney Spears is motivated by a similar thing, I don't know. I think she's had to be. So I don't know, I'm looking forward to that conversation. Yeah, me too. I think there's like, there's never, I won't give away what I think of that book, but I'm very excited to talk about it. I haven't read it yet because I really wanted to wait until right before we're going to talk about it. So it's like really fresh in my head. So I'm excited. I haven't read it. I've obviously seen a lot of the coverage of it. And, you know, I hope Justin Timberlake's on the run. But (laughs) I, I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see. And today we're taking your questions that you had for us. We've had people ask us questions in the Discord. We've had people DM us questions, but we had a specific form where people could fill out just to ask questions about the book. And I wanna draw a contrast between us and Britney Spears, which may not be the one that you're expecting. I don't know if she turned down the chance to read her own audio book, but we did choose to read our audio book. Yes, which was a very cool process. I'd never obviously done that before, but it was it was interesting to see how it works behind the scenes. And we got asked a question about that process, which was how did we decide what to read, which part in the audiobook, and just basically what did that process actually look like? Great question. Do you wanna go first? Yeah, and so the question is from Brenna, who is name dropped in the book. And shout out, Brenna. You'll have to read for yourself which part she's in, uh, but she has a very fun uh, passage in the book. And she wants to know was it entirely your control who read which portions? And she's asking this in part because there were places where she was surprised by who read what. And there were parts that I think felt super logical to read. And so some of mm-hmm. the things like when we introduce ourselves early in the book and we talk about our respective childhoods, and we talk in the end about changes, we talk more about that format. The rest of it, I had noticed literally in between recording that there was like one small section that was like dangling and unassigned. But that was something that was, I think, literally two email exchanges and it was decided. Does that sound right to you? Yeah. I mean, just for people who are interested on how this all works, like there is a completely different team that does the audiobook than does like the hard copy book. So obviously our editor edited the content. And when that all got signed off on, there's a production group at Macmillan that does the audiobook. So they were the ones who matched us with a director and they decided who was going to read what. So originally, like I was sort of wondering, 
because a lot of the book is written in a shared we voice. Like, is it going to be weird if we read about ourselves in the third person? Like, should we just say our names or like I when we come to our name and they were like, no, because if it doesn't match the transcript of the book, like most audiobook stores won't accept it. So like there's a lot that goes on that like you don't have a lot of choice over. But the team at Macmillan decided that we would alternate chapters um, other than reading what's written in our own voices ourselves. So that's basically how it was decided. I looked back at that week and so I allow my Fitbit to track certain things but not other things about me and I allow it to track like zones of heart rate activity and that week it was like congratulations girl you must have run a marathon <laughs> and it was like oh my god it was like we're getting conflicting data points because you moved a lot so I recorded on a Thursday and Friday morning and it was like you moved a lot in the morning and then you seemed to not move at all and while you were moving your heart rate was steady and then for this other 11 hour window between those two days your heart rate was like out of control like I was in intense wow. cardio heart rate for that entire time. I think that's one of the harder physical things I've ever done. I did not expect them to ask us to read remotely as fast. I felt like I was racing through every word, every sentence. And when in doubt, I've said this as a joke before, it felt like Black Swan when the guy was like, attack it, more, attack it. She was like, faster, <laughs> She always wanted me reading our producer, Caitlin, faster. And that really shocked me. Interesting. Yeah. So we recorded it separately because we do live in separate states. We have different schedules. So I actually went to New York and recorded it at Macmillan. And oddly enough, where that's located is like ground zero. And I was recording on 9-11 this year and the next day. So it was just a very weird time. And it's a very like it's a very strange and surreal experience to have a director like Caitlin directing you on how to perform words that you wrote about your own life. And so I think that took a minute to get used to. But once I basically and this is like the Italian in me coming out, I was like, can I like talk with my hands as I'm doing this? I'm going to like when I talk, I use my hands a lot. And they were like, yeah, get into it. And then that unlocked something for me. And I was like, OK, great. So I don't know that I was like cardio heart beating out of my chest, but it did take a minute to be like there are two people through that glass window staring at me. And then, you know, like, I hope I'm doing a good job. And when I was I just remember like reading chapter one and when I read about my grandmother, totally unplanned or unprompted, I started to cry and I was like, oh, I'm really sorry. Like, I hope this isn't unprofessional. And they're like, no, this is good. Like you're connecting to it. But it was a surreal experience, like for sure. But I know you had a, a different experience. You were in Rhode Island. I was with a gentleman named Spike. That's his real name. And or sorry, that's a nickname that goes back to high school. And I had kind of a funny experience because I it was just the two of us in a mobile trailer and I show up and he's very gracious and he's very nice. For some reason, there must have been something happening in our area. There were a number of times where choppers were getting very low. So we had to stop recording and make sure that that was all good. And Caitlin, our producer, and Spike, who was my like in-space producer, had conversations like about me, which, you know, like needs to happen of how certain things needed to be. I could not move or use my hands without making noise in the setup that I was in. So I had to stay mm. perfectly still 
And I've noticed that people who read audiobooks on things like TikTok, they do it with like a high podium and they stand. I think that would have been easier for me. I could not move my arms or hands except to like flick the iPad without it making a creaking noise. So I think part of my Ooh. my high like you know blood pumping yeah, was, stressful setup. was the stress of of not being able to move and getting it was very hot that week like getting very physically hot without the air being on but spike and i had a wonderful lunch together on friday i talked about why he should not eat the fish from the river that flows behind his complex and he was like we all learned something today and <laughs> he started wow. by doing like sudoku and puzzles and partway through, he stopped doing that and he started listening to the book and he was like, this isn't what I expected. This is funny. So I took oh that. Oh my God. I, Another man we converted. Exactly. I took that as a high compliment because I think if we'd had a person kind of in our world, they would have been like reacting a lot to the book. Spike was like genuinely like he never meant to fall in, you know, like he's like yeah. the busy business lady, like moving to the Hallmark town. He's like, I never expected this. Like, I never I just came here to save my family's candle. Factory. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it was very different. He, well, like the remember Michael, the lawyer who yes. was hired to like vet our book and by Macmillan. And we had a call with him that was like similarly charming where he was like, oh, like I never thought this was going to be for me, but. I ended up learning a lot. And he's like, it was fun. Thanks. Yeah. I liked it. And we were like, okay, yeah, cool. Thank you. No, I yeah. just feel bad. Like at the very end of my second day when they were like, okay, you did it. And I was like, mission accomplished. And then I was like, I regret quoting George W. Yeah. Bush at the end of this recording. It does not reflect me as a person. And they were kind of like laughing at me. And I also tasked Ashley, who's a member of Gen Z and the audio engineer to like I made a Janine Garofalo reference and she was like, I don't know who that is at the end of day one. And I'm like, your homework tonight is to learn who Janine Garofalo is. And day two, she was like, I'm going to be real with you. I did not look that up, but like, I hope she's doing well. And, you know, like me too. So overall it was a positive experience. I haven't listened to it, but I haven't I either. People are enjoying it. I listened to the preview and that scared me sufficiently. So I trust people who are listening to it. Similarly, I've not heard myself on um, All Things Considered, which was another thrilling thing that we got to do. We got to be on All Things Considered. And I came home from work the day it was airing nationally on NPR and Anna just yelled, I'm about to listen to you on the radio. Do you want me to hide? And I just said, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and so she went into our bedroom and shut the door. I have not heard it. People have said it's good, but like, and I'll believe them. I just like, I'm not there yet. Like there are certain things I can take in. There are certain things I'm just not ready for. So that's kind of where I'm at. So to that end, Sarah asked us a question that takes us to more, I think probably the, the physical thing. What's been your favorite moment promoting the book or seeing the reaction to the book? Thank you, Sarah. Great question, Sarah. Uh, do you have a thing that readily comes to mind? I'll just say this. And like, if you're listening from my Barnes and Noble, like you betrayed me. I wanted to see the book <gasps> in Barnes and Noble. It was not there. We have since gotten intel that we don't need to share on how Barnes and Noble runs and why some of them put it out a week early and some of them have chosen not to carry it. That's okay. Um, I think seeing it in person was very exciting. Like seeing it on a bookshelf was very exciting. I think meeting people in Boston was definitely a highlight. And I think it's fun to mm. see people who are dressed way better in AG clothing 
than we are. I think that's always like super cool to see. Someone said that our Boston event was like the Eras tour for people like this. And I was like, okay. Oh my, yeah, that was incredible. That was AG Grand Tour said that. And I said, okay, that's a very high compliment. Thank you. Um, I really, I really wanted to see it in a bookshop. And I totally thought that I was going to have the courage to be like, oh, that's me. Or like that they would look at the credit card and realize I've done that twice now and it hasn't happened, <laughs> which is really? actually just oh embarrassing God. for me. So I no, probably shouldn't have shared it's that. Not embarrassing. But I've always wondered, like, would they look at their credit card and be like, oh, like, that's you. Oh, my God. It's not like my that's... name is like Susan Jones, you know, but that has no. not occurred. So I still haven't seen it in a bookstore <laughs> because I went to a Barnes Noble near me on the day the book came out and they didn't have it in the store. And I asked and basically like, I don't think this is sharing telling tales because it is on the Internet. It's public knowledge that each store gets to choose what it carries. Basically, they're run sort of like independent bookstores, although they're not. So you kind of need to request like you need to go in there and be like, so listeners, if you can help us out with this, like, let's see if we can turn the tide. Go to your Barnes Noble and be like, you should have this in the store. Like, I want it. Because my parents think they're going to do this. And they said, we're going to be very subtle. My and mom like, did the same. Oh, God. I'm like, I'm scared to know what they're going to do. But I'm, I can't. I said to them, I felt like such a loser. And I was like, oh, I'm looking for this book, Dolls of Our Lives, the day it came out. And, there, and she was like, wow, like this color, this cover really pops. It looks great. <laughs> and I was like, so are you guys going to have it in the store? And she was like, and I'm like, look, I'm from here. Like, come on. Like, and I just feel like it's a book so many people would want to check out because it's a topic of interest to like, you know, millennials, et cetera. And she was like, I don't know. Like, I don't have the authority to make that call. And I'm like, well, what are we doing? Like, let's get going here. I don't know. So I'll say something that was cool about seeing the physical object when we worked with Ellen from Due to Day, who did the design for both the Great show design. and for everything, uh, you know, something that I think wasn't communicated that was awesome is I didn't know how like dynamic and almost 3D the lettering would be. And I think that makes it really pop and look really cool. So I think that was kind of exciting to see in person. Like you don't know how it's actually going to play. But anytime people share a photo that they're out like reading the book or when people pose with the photo, I think that's super cool. I do read the reviews, which I said I wasn't going to, but I do. So I can't help myself. But seeing those- Are they good? I have not read the reviews. So that was a question that we got asked, which is- Wait, I didn't say my, I oh, didn't say what I no, enjoyed about- No, please say yours. Yes, for sure. Um, so I just want to say like to everyone who's come to a book event, like that has been so meaningful to me just because like so much of our show has taken place over the pandemic or like post pandemic. We've done a lot of virtual events and that's been really fun. Like our book launch with Margaret Lyons was so fun. We so appreciate her doing that. But um, the in-person stuff has been like really moving to me. I just want to say that. And like like people coming up and saying to us, like you got me through the pandemic, like that's so meaningful. And I just want to say like how much appreciation I have for that and like you know, people coming dressed up, looking better than us, like great. But like when we were in Boston, that was, I can't even like share how moving that's been because when I was growing up, I used to go to Boston all the time for medical issues and it was kind of hellish and it was really miserable. And my mom like saw me go through some really dark stuff. And my mom got to be with me on that night at Boston Public Library. My dad had pneumonia. He still does. Unfortunately, he's getting better, but he had to miss a lot of book events for that. 
or he would have been there. But anyway, like it just felt very full circle to me to be there with her and with my wife and all of the people who showed up at that event. It just was like, wow, this is such a beautiful moment. And all of the people there just made it so wonderful. And like, I don't know, just like people saying stuff about like, you know, I met some queer other queer people. Like it was just really moving. So just wanted to say that. And my niece, who is three, lasted through the entire event. Yes, was she was so a cheerful like, chill. participant, and she had received a turtle earlier that day, and she was like very excited that the turtle from the aquarium stuffed was going to come, and my whole family was like, and Molly too, right? And she was like, sure, she can come, maybe, yeah, <laughs> she can come. <laughs> She's so cute. She has given it a six out of five star review, which I appreciate. So there was no, there was no, you know, pressure or, you know, anything from, from my family, but her objective review was six out of five stars and she can do basic edition. So I will take that. Love that. She said what she said. Great review. Yeah, there you go. I believe her. We were asked, do you read the comments, reviews, et cetera, as word of mouth and the book grows across multiple platforms. And that's also from Brenna. Thank you, Brenna. Um, I have not. So just like truthfully, I've not only because I'm afraid if somebody said something like negative, I wouldn't be able to handle it. And maybe that's like too precious of me. I do read DMs. So when people have been DMing me, I am like responding to folks. Um, so I've gotten some very nice messages. And like when people tag us on Instagram, I see that. But apart from that, I have not not seen much. How about you? So I learned that our audiobook was done when someone reported on a review website that they'd listened to it. I was like, oh, I guess it's finished. Wow. Oh, my God. <laughs> so there were a number of librarians and folks who are purchasers and in the book industry who started posting about the audiobook when there was, you know, availability to get access. I would love to say that I don't read them, but I do. I still read all of our podcast reviews. I do read. Oh, wow. So I have I have read just about everything on things like Goodreads and and other platforms, Amazon. So I do I do read them. There are times though where I decide like this is a time when I would like to look at that and times when I don't. I think what's interesting too is something that I think is always responsible, right? You can consume content and just say, that's not for me. Like we've talked about a lot of things on this show and said, this just kind of wasn't what I thought or wasn't for me. So it's super gratifying when people say like, this exact thing was what I was looking for. This was the kind of, you know, look at nostalgia and that type of thing. And I think I am also a person where if someone gives something a one or two star review, I have a practice of looking at how frequently do they do that because I am a person who doesn't give things that low of a review, except for one Dunkin' Donuts that wronged me. And there are people who just consistently like rate very low or they go out of their way to be a person who reads, you know, a thousand books a year as a reviewer and they give a lot of things below three stars. If it's below three in my heart, I don't leave anything. Fair. Yeah, I don't review anything online because I feel like that's my views are personal. And so what I do is I use Notion, which is like a kind of like workspace, like organization kind of platform thing. And what it allows you to do is like track your reading. So I use that and I have a personal rating system there that only I see because I want to remember books, authors I really like that I want to keep reading their work. Like Val McFarland, who I talked about in a couple episodes ago. 
But apart from that, I always like I'm a big believer in feedback and being able to receive feedback in a productive way. But I'm at a point now where it's like the book is over, like it's out in the world. If somebody came to me with a review that was like really cutting and, you know, like I wish it was this and not that, there's really nothing we can do about that at this point. Right. So for me, I'm not trying to say I'm a precious flower that can't take feedback because certainly that's not true. But you know, we got really great feedback when we were writing this book from our editor, Kat, and we, you know, acted on that. So at this point, I really love hearing for people for whom it was meaningful, who want to have a conversation, but people who just want to like, you know, be clever on the internet or think they're clever on the internet or for whom it's just not for them. Like they have every right to say whatever they want to say. And I think it's just a healthy thing for me not to subject myself to it. We do. We do have a woke agenda. That's something that I've learned, that we have a woke agenda, which I think in 2023 is not a horrible thing to have said about you, actually. Well, I mean, referring back to the Boston event and some others, like I've actually heard from a lot of queer people who reacted to me writing about like my coming out journey and like being a queer person and being inclusive. If that's a woke agenda, like sign me up, because if I know that it's helped one person come out or like navigate that time in your life, it's worth it to me. And yeah, see, that's the kind of crap I don't care about at all. <laughs> don't need to see. Yeah, I think it honestly like I I think if I had never worked for the Best Western Corporation, this wouldn't be like ingrained in me. It was my job every other day to read all of our TripAdvisor reviews and to respond. And that created this kind of practice. Oh, my God. In me yeah. where it was like my job to reach out and to like compare usernames with emails of like actual people who'd stayed. So maybe that that is is not the best. Um, we got asked a few questions, which I, I think are getting at similar things. Um, Aviva and Serena, they use different words, unexpected or surprising. Um, but what was something surprising or unexpected that we learned in the process of doing research for the book? I think an area that I didn't know as much about was Pleasant's own background. And I think that was really interesting to me. Like I knew about the her kind of retirement, Aurora, New York kind of renovation, renaissance, normal Rockwell adventure there of kind of renovating that town to her imagined vision of the past um, and, you know, putting a lot of her own money into that town to revitalize it. But I didn't know about her early professional life and the ways that that I think informs how you can understand what she was trying to do with American Girl and sort of like its longer trajectory. So seeing her as a person who was a news anchor in San Francisco after being a teacher and the ways that her early professional life was reported on, you can kind of see, well, overtly see the sexism that she was subjected to, even in laudatory write-ups of her as a person that, you know, I think give you some really interesting context for why she thought it was important for girls to be at the center of the story and to kind of define themselves. I think probably two different things for me, one of which was just how multifaceted the company became so early. I think that's mm -hmm. super interesting. Obviously, you know, learning about the origins of the company and different people who worked for it. I think getting to talk to people, right, who were part of making these things was very special, especially when a lot of them are, are not that much older than we are. And we got to enjoy things that they made and give them that feedback throughout the way, just kind of picking up new information. Like I kind of had a week where I became obsessed with Madame Alexander around the time that we were doing mm. the Rebecca stories and thinking of them as contemporaries of each other. 
And dolls were something I always really loved and played with and cared for, but getting more actual doll history, I think something Mm. that, you know, we kind of straddle different worlds with the way that we approach this topic. I've looked through like doll collectors books and they have a very certain kind of information. And I've obviously done histories of domesticity and that has a certain kind of information. But looking at this from the perspective of who are the creators and what are their ideas about what they're supposed to do, you know, and kind of having all of this culminate in watching the Barbie movie and watching the opening montage of that movie be sort of a destruction of the baby doll and and what that might mean. I don't think that's a spoiler. You know, it's kind of a famous scene already. But learning about people who've made things that we think are special or predecessors to things that we think are special. Mm. That was a great way too. I think, to not just have it be only American Girl every single page, that these things are part of a context and a history in and of itself. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. And I think too, it kind of relates back to like a through line of the book, I think, which is sort of like history versus memory. Like I think going into it, I thought we were going to learn a lot about why history was important to Pleasant Run, like why make American Girl set in the past. And, you know, what was kind of surprising in an interesting way was like that talk she gave at Colonial Williamsburg when Felicity debuted. And the main thing she talks about is that she really wants the brand to be a thing that creates memories specifically between mothers and daughters and that can be passed down through generations. So it just kind of invites the question, like how much of it is about history for her and how much of it is about you know, creating a mechanism for memory making, which doesn't then make not her abandonment of history, but the pivot to like girl of the year and all that stuff, not a betrayal of the brand, but actually an extension of like maybe what she sees as the primary goal of, you know, creating memories. Now, Laura has a question, uh, which Laura, you would not know this. This question came in, I think, four minutes before we started to record this episode, which is what chapter took more time to research or write? Hmm. Do you have an answer for this? What do you think? I think the one that comes to mind is chapter four, because I think we tried out so many different ideas for what that chapter could be. And if you haven't cracked it open yet or don't have an interest in in reading it, we took the six book format of the early historical characters, the meat, the lessons, the surprise, the birthday, the the struggle or the saves and the changes and made that the basic spine of the book. And I think that there were so many different ideas going into that chapter about birthdays as emblematic of something bigger and or birthdays just as a thing worth writing about. And I think that probably changed the most from when we were first talking about like discovery zone and ways that people want to be cherished or celebrated to the Mm -hmm. end of that chapter. Like, I don't know. I I don't think that's the most research heavy. I would say that's chapter two for sure. But I think with the learns a lesson like that has the most background into it. But I think that's the one that our editor in particular, right? There was a lot more changing and and pivoting and, and kind of finding new direction with that material. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. I was going to say, too, just because it did probably have the most like research or just like putting together like our trip experience with Pleasant's life and the history of the brand and all that. Um, But yeah, I think that's definitely true. Aviva's question also, I think I maybe we both buried the lead, like what's the most unexpected 
we've said this in a few venues, but we signed this contract for this book, like literally the day that United States media outlets were starting to take COVID seriously. And I think that is such a huge part of it. And I think something really unexpected for me was the degree to which we were really told not to make COVID a character or any part of this book. And there are a lot of places where to me, it's like, COVID is such a part of the experience of how this book got made and our lives of the past three years. And I don't know that it's mentioned once, actually. I don't know that that word appears in this book, maybe once in passing, but it's it's referred to as a thing like of the recent past. Yeah, that's definitely true. I think that was the biggest curveball that we had to face writing the book because I think we would would have gone probably to some other places. Like I know we talked about going to Aurora, New York, to one of her like hotel boutique hotels and you know different places and thinking about places where we could go that would let us like think and talk about things we wanted to discuss with American Girl and I think the only place we mentioned it because we had to was in Colonial Williamsburg because right. when we were there it was still somewhat of like restricted kind of COVID stuff like the movie American Boy it's not called that that's what we call it that was not being shown and that was a huge deal because that was like the longest running movie like in American history or something but you could watch it on YouTube so that's what we had to do for that but yeah and remember we had the I think it's in the book but with the picture of their American Girl dolls where they had a mask on in the store I think you took that picture that's in the book but I think that's one of the few things in the book where we actually directly acknowledge it even though it was a thing the entire time yeah so the book in terms of like becoming like a proposal and then to like a contract and a thing that was January through March of 2020. And then obviously the world, you know, became completely different. But I think part of what was surprising to me and it was the right advice, I've read books that were written in the early stages of COVID by big authors who can churn and burn a book within a year. And I'm thinking of one in particular by Leanne Moriarty. It had a whole COVID plotline and I hated it. <laughs> and I think, oh, wow. I think it was the right advice ultimately to say, don't dwell too much on it. But part of why I'm thinking about, there are a few places where there are things that we were writing about that felt like they were changing in real time between 2020 and 2022. And, you know, something like a birthday as there were parts of this book coming together. I live near a neighborhood that has younger children and they were doing that thing where they were honking for people's birthdays like every other day. And we would be trying to record Mm. or trying to do something or I'd be trying to work. And it was like everyone was born in April and had a birthday in 2020. (laughs) And like that whole era already feels very far away. And that was something that this book does not capture as being a book from 2020 or 2021. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. I mean, it it's sort of sad that it so shaped our experience and it's not necessarily reflected in the book, but I do think it was probably the right the right call. Um, but yeah, I mean, it definitely added some challenge to a lot of what we were doing, but um yeah, I mean, it's weird to think about like things from the early pandemic that are still that feel so long ago that are not now. But I mean, I remember the day I got married, like actually got married, it was before we even had a vaccine and there were like 10 of us in my parents' backyard. And it's like, wow, that feels like a million years ago now. But um, yeah. There are so many things when you look back to 2021 
we pretty much both took out calendars and looked at the exact amount of time we needed for our vaccines to be effective. And that's the day that we bought tickets to fly to Virginia. Right. Like that's how tight because we had put off the travels. And so that was a question that had been asked by Katie. Katie also wants to know, um, what advice would you give Mary and Allison of 2018? Oh my God. Wow. <laughs> and Katie Katie is our Goodreads reviewer who did review our of book. Course. And I did read your review and I liked it. Thank you. Because it was very nice. Uh, oh, but thank you. Katie is the person who like shifted the world of Goodreads reviews because I used to always go to those as additional content for the episodes. And then it became a place where people were talking about the show as well. And so it kind of like changed <laughs> the, in a good way, it changed the ecosystem where right. I wasn't able to as readily find like bonkers reviews right wow what advice would you give us in 2018 oh my god I don't even know her no (laughs) I mean 2018 is when we spoke at a conference about American Girl and it's interesting some of the feedback we got then is the same as the feedback on the Facebook page of when NPR you know wrote about talking to us a lot of that feedback was basically American Girl was expensive. It's classist, period. And I think I'm very glad that we didn't just kind of get hung up in a swirl of talking about that and that we were able to talk about other things. I don't know. That feels, even though that's only five years, that feels like a complete lifetime ago. I Mm. think something I would have talked to myself about is parasocial relationships and I would have said like you're going to be really weird about this and you're going to like not understand how to navigate this and you're going to have to learn what discord is and you're going to have to like change the way that you interact with people and people are going to know things about you and you don't know things about them and that's a net positive in your life I think I would have told myself that because that continues to be a surprise to me So I think I would have had a conversation with myself about that. Hmm. Yeah. And COVID. That's a good point. I would have been like, buy these stocks. They're going to short Best Buy. 2018 does feel like a long time ago. That was the year I finished my PhD. And I sort of think like in a bigger way, like we were doing this because we thought it would be fun when I finished grad school and you'd finished the previous year, I think, or maybe more than that. But um I think the advice I would give myself is like, it's okay to not have it figured out and for dreams to change. Like I thought when I finished grad school, I was like so depressed because I was like, well, I don't really want to move anywhere for an academic job. I'm not even sure I want to do that anymore at the end of this. I want to do something with the public. I don't know what that is. And then it's kind of like taken shape from there. But I think maybe not worrying so much about like having it all figured out is good advice because certainly things have changed and I don't have things figured out still, but you know, it's been like really amazing in ways I could never have predicted, especially at that conference where I think there was maybe three people (laughs) in the audience when we gave that talk, if I'm right, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, that didn't go great. And they were not like universally, like they didn't come because they were like, oh my God. Like we basically were like having a town hall meeting where we were like, should we do this show? The answer was like, no. Should we I will do say this? That. The answer was no. <laughs> the answer was like, who are you? How'd you get in here? Don't do it. These dolls are expensive. You know, basically it was like a resounding meh, like don't even do it. And so the fact that like 
we I'm proud of us that we did it, but I'm also like, wow, like <laughs> it was not a green flag. Wow. It was not a checkered flag. It was like you two are a beige flag but I at think best. Yeah. You two are beige flag at best, but that's another good lesson of like make the stuff you want to see in the world. Like don't ask other people permission to like be who you are and do what you want. Like as long as doing what you want is not being a serial killer. Um like, you know, I'm so happy we did this, but I think if we'd been looking for like traditional sort of like uh, mechanisms of approval or like cosigns, I think we would have been like, well, like maybe we should test it out more. Maybe we should, you know, this and that. And it's like, you know, we just dove in. And I think that was for the best. I think something that's been interesting, too, is how, um, you know, podcasts are their own world. And I think something I would have told Mm -hmm. myself is there are worlds, and I, I think other people have spoken about this, where it's like, we all have this kind of shared language. We have these shared experiences at this point. And then mm-hmm. you kind of like unplug your player and you like go back to your world. I'm not saying one is real and one is not, but that they are these very different kinds of places and that that can be a little bit disorienting. Like I, I was really caught up in a podcast drama involving people I've never met and I've spent hours kind of being fascinated by it and being plugged into other people. I financially support a lot of podcasts. I'm very interested in like that whole kind of world. And I find that there are people maybe like us who are consuming dozens of hours of podcasts a week and people who are at a zero. Yeah. And so it's very weird that we have this community. Um, No one at my place of work and almost no one in my family listens to anything associated with this show. So they have no common language with me about it. And that can be confusing. My sister-in-law listens to our main feed. But in general, that's That's a very weird, uh, you know, it's like someone will ask me a random question about an American girl. And I'm like, if only there was a place where one could go to listen to an entire (laughs) episode on that exact topic. They're like, yeah, but just tell me. (laughs) <laughs> I think that I think that's an interesting point, too, because it's like no one in my family has ever listened to the show like main feeder Patreon. No one in my family has ever listened to it. But I mean, it's been like nice. It's a nice gift that I've been able to share that with my family in this way. And also like in a different way, like when I've been going through life things I've talked about on the show that, you know, just been stressful or whatever. Like even when I got married during the pandemic, I remember hearing from so many other people who were in a similar situation. And that was really nice to be able to share like the stress of that moment or like kind of the sadness of it while it's also such a happy time because people were going through something similar or just like people being happy for me that I'd never met. Like it was really nice at a time when like, you know, frankly, I did have relatives who were not that enthusiastic for me, like when I got married, largely because I'm gay, which they would never say out loud, but like, that's what was going on. So like, it it has been like a really beautiful, interesting exchange, like this whole parasocial, I guess, relationship. It's also funny to realize that people know you from different things. They know you in different parts of your life and to know that there are people who have really kind of shared and like chosen to engage. Like we chose to do an entire chapter about our origins with American Girl. And I think there's many different ways that someone could write Mm -hmm. this book, but we chose to do it that way to kind of establish and ground ourselves as characters in this kind of fandom. And so there are people now who I have come to realize 
My brother was joking that he was worried I'd reveal what he used to do to my dolls, which was he would squeeze their heads. And I said, don't worry, you're safe. It's not it's not in the book. You are okay." And I said, I think people would completely understand that that was, you know, my my family continues to perpetuate the idea that my dolls come alive when I go to sleep. They would always say that they played with them terrifying when I went to sleep. And that was like something I was actually like into like that excited me where I was like, "Okay, well, I'll just have to catch them like that is so oh cool. my god and I brought this up we we've talked very openly about this and like laughed about it as a family and my brother said you know well you don't know like they still might like they're like they know there's still this small chance that that is going on and I think that that's highly relatable right like that you have siblings that played with your dolls or in your case your brothers who got really into the stories right even though they said right. they weren't so some other questions that we got um so we answered a few by katie i think that was the hardest question um what advice would you give to yourself in 2018 the financial would be very important to me um so colette asked us a question um about choosing the format and we can talk about that and she also wanted to share that she really adores the changes for mary section which she thinks has a lot of emotional impact I guess since we've talked about choosing the sixth book and peek into the past format, if you were to do it over again, would you change that? Would you do it differently? I don't think so, because actually, as we've been recording the show while writing the book, like I'm we started reading some of the Be Forever series, and it's made me realize even more so how important that sixth book arc to me was to me as a reader. So I think for me, like if you're thinking about things you're nostalgic for, things that were meaningful. I think that arc is so important to what American Girl was and is. So I think that always made sense to us as a structure. So I would probably keep doing that. Read a lot of books that we have either been asked to read or that we've sought out as kind of, you know, comparable pieces. And I think something a lot of people who turn a podcast into a book do is they write a lot of really short chapters. Right. They write a lot of really mm. short sections and the chapters in this book are subdivided into sections. I think this would have read very different if we chose to tackle each topic sort of as its own thing. Right. If like grin pins yeah. got five pages and then in a discontinuous way, like the varsity jackets got three or four pages. I think giving oh, it right. that superstructure works. Well, and it also lets people go on the journey with us as two stand-ins kind of for their own kind of journey with American Girl or like comparable thing that was meaningful to them. Like, I think part of what the book does is invite you to think about like, what did this thing that was meaningful in your childhood mean for your childhood specifically? Like, what's your American Girl story and what does it mean to you now? And watching us do that kind of reflection I hope encourages people to do something similar for themselves, which obviously would be specific for them. I mean, to me, that was the toughest part of the book because from I just remember debating like how honest should I be in each part of this? Because on the one hand, in the first chapter, I talk about my dad's mother, who was not particularly kind to me in large part because I didn't meet her standard for like what a girl should be. And I didn't know how to both express gratitude because she gave me my Molly doll, but also just be real, like it was complicated. And in the last chapter writing about, you know, how my life has changed in ways that I couldn't anticipate when I was like nine years old and got a Molly while also wanting to be respectful of like 
my family who are still very Catholic and myself as a person who's, you know, queer and not ashamed of that. So that was probably the toughest part. So we also wanted to talk about the article that came out, why are millennials still attached to American Girl? And I'm putting the emphasis there. And that's by Lizzie Fettelson uh, with some absolutely amazing illustrations that I think everyone wants to buy by Sunny Wu. And she poses a few things. And one of the things she says is that we kind of have this question in the subtitle or this proposition, I guess, that, you know, millennials can't quit American Girl and kind of questions whether we actually address the why. I'm curious what you think about that. Well, first I'll just say it was a shock. I'm not a morning person at all, but I woke up and what turned my alarm off and I saw a notification on my phone from Melanie Newport, who was a longtime supporter of ours at UConn where we went to grad school. Check out her book. Um, she studies history of jails. And she tagged us and was like, wow, um, uh, you and I getting written up in The New Yorker. And I was like, huh? Because again, I hadn't had my coffee. It was shocking. Like, I just want to acknowledge that. Like, it's as surreal as you think it's going to feel. It was shocking. And it was also like very positive about us. So I was like, wow, few because I know they've like trash books and stuff. So I was like, oh, God. Um, but I think the way it read to me was like it was very positive. I don't think she was dinging us because we were saying like, I don't think we set out to solve why we can't quit American Girl. I think it was more like our book is exploring why it's meaningful. And I think to me, it just read as like someone maybe for whom American Girl wasn't personally super meaningful, who is like reviewing our book and kind of like trying to write about the larger topic. I don't know. That's how I took it. I think it's always a shock when you open an alert and you're described uh, together as childless PhDs unenthused by the adjunctification of the academic job market. I was like, it is 10 in the morning. <laughs> we also get compared to Taylor Swift. And I was at, I was like, I am at the place that gives me a government paycheck. And I did not expect right. the jolt of the shock of childless PhDs. Ooh. I was like, it's the morning. Ma'am. It's Friday. I have a lot, Rebecca Black, to deal with today. I mean, party and party and I do think I mean, we provide damn. answers too, right? I mean, I think the thing th what we've been trying to do for several years is a meditation on why people are interested and not to provide, you know, definitive answers where there is not a need for them to exist. But yeah, do we want to talk about the the Taylor Swift part? I can pull that up. Um Yes, I forget what she says specifically, but I know our agent was like, I didn't have you guys being compared to Taylor Swift on this year's bingo card. But anyway, here it is. So she says she's You're like, wow. she's reading the book. I was reminded of Taylor Swift, another powerhouse brand inextricably bound to the millennial cultural and economic zeitgeist, as well as to its understanding of girlhood. I don't know if we are being compared or the brand is being compared. OK, that's hard to hear, but. I want to say it's us, but it kind of sounds like it's the brand. She works too hard for my taste as two people who also work a lot. I think she works a lot. Yeah, I'm not willing to put in those kind of Taylor Swift not, hours. Not without a Taylor Swift nutritionist and trainer. People did want to know uh, who we are covering next, which I think is a great question. We'll tell everyone on the main feed, but we want to talk a bit about Julie and our next character. Yes. So we're excited to be finishing the Julie series. And, you know, we wanted to watch her movie, but it's a little bit unavailable right now. So we're looking for some suggestions 
from you of like Julie's supplementals. Like, did you like bicentennial history that we've talked about on Julie's journey? You know, are there other Julie books that we should be covering? Like, let us know. We also are looking at books from that era, so roughly 1974 to 1976. That includes everything from Stephen King's Carrie to the book My Brother Sam is Dead. We're also exploring the Title IX angle. We've had the book Hoops highly recommended to us by Matthew Tavares, but we're very much open to what you're interested in and want to cover Julie beyond just the books. Um, there's also the mysteries and the Ivy books. So please let us know what you think would be the best choice. Absolutely. Please get in touch with us in all the usual ways we'll review at the end of the episode. And the character we are covering after that is... Claudie. We're very excited to get into her book, as well as we hope a newly uh, re-released version of the Brownies book, which would have been a big part of her life growing up in that era during the Harlem Renaissance. So we're super excited. We did cover the first Claudie book back several months ago, and we want to get into her second book, also authored by Britt Bennett. I'm excited. I'm excited for all of this. A lot of great things coming up. And as we mentioned, we're doing Britney's The Woman in Me or The Woman Inside Me. Who knows? <laughs> I think that will I be. I haven't read it yet. That's the, I haven't read it yet. That's the, um, like the Bluth version. That I like that. I just keep hearing Shania Twain singing The Woman in Me every time I say that title. So I don't know like what's wrong with me, but that's where I'm at. But I can't wait to read that and so many other things, like a lot of good stuff coming up. Absolutely. I'm so grateful for all of you for your questions and for your support in all various kinds of ways. It's super cool when you reach out to us. And sometimes when I recognize a name, I get really excited. It's also very cool. I did meet someone in Boston and I said, oh, I think I know you from the internet. And she was like, I don't think you do. So, you know, we none of us wow. bats a thousand. We did convert yeah. a woman who runs a Baby Yoda account that she dresses up as a doll. And she called us smart girls, and that was a highlight for me. She follows we'll us. We'll take it. That was great. Love that moment. Someone also told me they thought I'd be taller. So oh, no one. Me too. No one has honestly. said that to me. Maybe I give short girl energy. That's fine. I don't know. That's fine. I mean, you know, like me too. I'm still waiting on my growth spurt. But yeah, I've had so much fun going to these book events and hearing from everybody. So just thank you for all of your support. We so, so appreciate it. And please join us for our upcoming watch alongs of Yentl on December. When is that? December 3rd. And on December 10th, we have a Muppets watch along. Muppet Christmas Carol. Cannot wait. All right, Allison, if somebody wants to get in touch with us, should they get you all the usual ways? Yeah, I'm at Millennial Archetype on X and Allison Harix <laughs> on Instagram. You can find me on those places and I would love to hear from you. You can also follow the show, Dolls of Our Lives pod. You can go on our website. Our website has very easy links of how to purchase the book or audio book and anything else that you're interested in. Perfect. And if you want to get in touch with me, just write to me at Mimi Mahoney on Instagram. Love to hear from all of you. Um, always respond, but sometimes it just takes me a hot sack. So thanks everyone who has written to us. We so appreciate you and we will see you on our next episode.